Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, I've cooked up something amazing with my friend Natalie Y. Beavers, founder of Angels of Epilepsy, and it's all yours for free now. Go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called Hacking Healthcare, a resource guide Natalie and I have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system, but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents. From a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit, this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye-opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. Hey, guys, we're doing a giveaway with former guest Lisa Snyderman, a.k.a. AED. Did you know that I'm a featured performer on Lisa's newest album, The Grieving Project? She's generously offered to partner with us to give away three digital downloads of this beautiful album about grief and chronic illness, as well as three digital reader copies of her memoir, A Light in the Darkness. These creative expressions are Lisa's gift to her fellow Spoonies and anyone undergoing unexpected transformation. Check our posts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to enter today. Winners will be announced next week with a tag on social media. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Charles Sanchez. Charles is a contributing editor at thebody.com, also creator of musical comedy HIV web series, Merce, and is living with HIV. He's going to talk to us all about that today. Charles, thank you so much for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, as our listeners will know by now, we like to start at the very beginning of a story. And Charles, I was hoping we could start at the beginning of yours. If you could let us know when and how you first realized you had something going on health-wise, how you were diagnosed with HIV, and how you've managed your health since that diagnosis. Oh, well, I have a very dramatic HIV story. Um, I was um, living in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is dramatic to begin with. Um, And... Uh, I was sick with what I thought was a stubborn case of bronchitis, and my roommate came home to find me on the floor, blue from lack of oxygen, and she took wow. me to the hospital, and uh, I don't remember any of this. She, like, carried me to her car and um, drove me to the hospital, and the next thing I knew, I was waking up um, with my family all around me. My family is living in Arizona. And they're all in Arkansas, and I'm in the hospital, and I didn't know what the hell happened. And um, 
the doctor told me then that uh, that I had AIDS, and that was my diagnosis. And, and this was in 2003. Um, so I was very shocked. I had no idea that I was even HIV positive or that anything was going on like that in my own body. It was pretty scary. Um, and I had to go from someone who was working three jobs to now someone who is disabled um, uh, because I had almost died. I was It was three and a half uh, weeks in the hospital. I got out of the hospital on Thanksgiving Day. It was the best Thanksgiving of my life. I bet. <laughs> and um, and then I lived, my parents moved to Arkansas for a couple of months while I was kind of recovering and figuring things out. So we, mm. I lived with my parents at 35 years old for a couple of months. That can be a strange experience. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my parents are really great and they really took great care of me and, um, um, I'm, I'm so grateful and lucky that I have family that, uh, that loves me and, and that I, you know, that's really supportive and, and it's been adaptable through my craziness and through things in my life. They've been, uh, they've still loved me through my craziness. They've showed so, up. It sounds like. <laughs> they've showed up. Yes. And continue to. Yeah. That's lovely. So how have you taken control of your health since? Has it been a combination of medication treatments and lifestyle changes? Um, yeah, some of all of that in, uh, I, I started taking medications right away. Um, and I, uh, I, I think a lot of people have had scary experiences with doctors and I don't want to discount that. I have not, I have had amazing experiences with doctors and mm-hmm. I trust my doctors very, very much. And I always say to people, if you don't trust your doctor, then you need to find another doctor because you should it's your health. It's your life. So yes, I started taking medications right away. Um, my doctor also had said to me at the time, this was still in Arkansas. I live in New York now. Um, but, uh, and he'd said to me, you know, exercise is one of the best things for you across the board. It helps the medication work better. It helps your stress level go down. Uh, also he had said to me, you know, stress is a killer, especially someone living with HIV or any chronic illness. So any anything that you can do to manage stress and to manage that in your life, that's what you need to do. So um, I kind of have developed over time other stress-relieving things, and they've all also changed. Um, diet has gone up and down. Sometimes I'm really careful about what I eat, and sometimes I'm stuffing my face with brownies and ice cream. You mean sometimes you're stuck inside during a global pandemic? <laughs> no, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've gained about, well, I've been saying I've gained 10 pounds. I've really gained about 13 pounds in the pandemic. I mean, you're not alone. (laughs) And a friend of mine said to me, we're all going to have to get used to a new aesthetic. Oh, I like (laughs) that. (laughs) Kirby's in. Kirby is in. Kirby has always been in. (laughs) Now it's just more in. I love that. So (laughs) it sounds like, you know, your family have really showed up for you over the years. Um, did you find, I mean, despite these good relationships with doctors, um, that you had to rely on them as personal advocates or was this a journey to becoming an advocate yourself in your healthcare? Well, I think it's both. I mean, um, when I was newly diagnosed, I really had no, I had no friends that I knew of that were living with HIV. Um, they came out of the woodwork. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I had a couple of friends who told me later, 
just so you know, I'm living with HIV and it's, you know, it's going to get better and you're going to be okay. And, you know, we're really uh, encouraging. Mm. But I didn't know that beforehand. And I, and so I was really, I really felt alone and I relied on, um, at the time it was the, um, Arkansas AIDS Foundation. They've, they've reformed, they have a new name and I can't think of what it is right now. We'll they, find it. We'll link to it. They were really incredibly helpful. And I think, there's a, there's community organizations like that around the, across the country that do amazing work, but uh, they were just a place for me to go. And uh, I connected with people there and, and I did have um, a caseworker, uh, that was really helpful, um, with me maneuvering things like the healthcare system and things I just had never had any experience with before. And, um, when I moved to New York, the first thing I did, um, was connect with the major AIDS service organization in New York, the Gay Men's Health Crisis. And I got a caseworker right away just to have a place to connect with. And um, I uh, I had therapy there and I did a lot of, I, I really took advantage of them a lot when I first moved back to New York. I don't rely on them so much anymore um, because I have other resources. I have other, I've developed a, a whole other system and a whole team of people in my life um, that I check in with regularly that so I don't sort of need that same sort of social support it's Um, amazing I mean it it it, to me this is a great example of these nonprofits, um you know that are always raising money and doing events and things um this is where the money's going it's going to create social services and infrastructure for people who are newly diagnosed which makes this path to treatment and to living a full life so much smoother. And if only we had that in other areas of healthcare, but how wonderful that you have it. I mean, I'm also thinking to myself, as you're telling me the story, this is such a contemporary story of an HIV diagnosis, right? Because 20 years prior, it would have been something completely different. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and it was for a lot of people. But even so, for me to have an AIDS diagnosis in 2003 was, that wasn't really happening. Had I been Mm -hmm. before, you know, beforehand, they could have caught it earlier and saved me that drama. But I like a little drama. So God, you know, <laughs> yeah, my higher power knows I like a little drama. So he made sure I had the what I needed. <laughs> That's good. So tell us, like, what is a typical day looking like for you? I mean, I know I asked this question and there's no such thing as a typical day for many of us, but how are you balancing the demands of work and life as you are managing potential symptoms and flares? Well, the way that the physical symptoms of HIV right now in my life are, are not as um, sort of blatant, like I don't have skin flare-ups of Kaposi sarcoma or, you know, I don't have the things that we uh, consider hallmarks of HIV and AIDS from, from the um, 80s and 90s when the pandemic was really raging before we had medications. Um, but how it affects me now is mostly in fatigue. Um, I do... I'm a person with a lot of energy, but I do get tired and I tend to take, need to take naps. Um, that's, that's really my major symptom besides, you know, just the regularity of having to take medications and stuff. So you're but, very much like many of us other spoonies who are dealing with fatigue on a day to day basis. Yes. Yes. Mm. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, and also I forget that it's a symptom. Like sometimes mm. I'll punish myself like, Oh, why am I so tired? Oh, right. I have this thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and yeah. it can also affect mood and, and everything else too, that can contribute to fatigue. And so it's, it's, we're complex creatures. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> so true. Well, and it sounds like you had the social services support to actually get mental health care involved from the get-go as well with your health care plan. I did. I, I used, uh, I took advantage of that a lot, um, especially when I when I first moved back to New York. I uh, was in therapy for several years. Amazing, amazing help. Mm-hmm. I recommend it to everyone. I had a friend recently tell me I need to go back in therapy, and I'm not sure how to take that. <laughs> well, let's see how this interview goes. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I was like, gosh. This can be your, your beta test. So have you been in situations, I mean, this is an invisible condition. Have you been confronted and forced to validate or justify the existence of your diagnosis to people who just didn't understand it because they couldn't see it? Somewhat. I mean, um, what I tend to get when I tell people that I, and I usually say AIDS, but I will say HIV, like my diagnosis was AIDS and that's my reality. Um, so I, I, that's who, that's just who I am, you know, but, um, when you tell someone that you're living with HIV, you either get a, I had no idea they brush it off or they get the opposite, which is you're so brave. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm brave for a lot of things, but not for having HIV, you know, like mm. whatever. Well, cause so, to you, it's your day to day to them. Yeah. It's like this miraculous thing. Right. Right. And, and I'm, I'm brave. Like I said, I'm brave for, I'm brave for taking a boot camp class and getting through the whole thing. That's, <laughs> that is a very brave thing to right? do. Yes. But to like be living with HIV and like, I guess managing my condition and, and that's, that's just, I mean, I'm very, I, I want to stay alive and I have mm. that thing. So I'm doing the things that I need to do to stay alive. Do you think that that idea of you being so brave is also so deeply connected to the stigmas attached with a disease like AIDS? Yeah. So you're having to deal with that as well when you're confronting people who maybe haven't dealt with anyone before who's HIV positive or, you know, just don't understand your personal experience. Well, and the, the scar, I think we have this collective scar in our society of what, of the AIDS crisis in the eighties and nineties and what HIV and AIDS looks like. And those, People, there's images of people who were ravaged by by AIDS in the 80s and 90s and had were covered in Carposis sarcoma scars all over their face and and were were you know skinny like Auschwitz you know victims. That's really hard to get rid of. That's really hard to battle and say like, okay, that's not that's not today. That was 30 years ago. Um, and, and so I think that's why people say I'm brave or, or that you're, you know, um, and it's also that they don't know what to say. Yeah. That's a nice thing to say, quote unquote. Can we teach people? This is a great teaching moment. What should people say? If you meet someone new, be that a practitioner, a friend or otherwise, and it comes out that you have this diagnosis, what should the reaction be rather than you're so brave? What would a, a more fitting reaction be? Oh, do you want to get a burger? Yeah. Cause it's, that's, it's just <laughs> your life. Right. Cause, yeah. it, cause if I have HIV and I need something from you, I'm going to ask for that. Yeah. I have HIV and I'm raising money for. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm just telling you, just like, I'm just confiding in you or, or trying to bond with you in a certain way. Or, mm. But yeah, let's, let's go get pancakes. Yeah. 
I like this pancakes on a burger. You're on, we're on the same train. <laughs> so, um, you know, in terms of this, we're, we're touching on the stigmas here. Have you also experienced any undue either prejudice or privilege, either end of the spectrum within the healthcare system, particularly regarding the way that you present, right? You're a gay man, you're Latinx. Can you see your circumstances having been different if you presented otherwise? Like if you walked into services as a white male or a, a woman? Oh, I think certainly those differences are are blatant and are, I think, yes. Um, I also don't, like, I, I think I'm very privileged. Um, um, one of the things that makes me privileged is that I am sort of educated and I'm well-spoken. Um, I'm, I'm quick. Uh, I can talk to people. I'm friendly. Mm. Um but as far as like being Latinx and, uh, I always I often say to people, you know, say, oh, you don't really get prejudice. No one's prejudiced against you, Charles, because you're not like that. Well, Ooh. who am I like? But also, <laughs> what's that presumption? Know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know when I've been prejudiced against. Like, I, I don't always see it. Mm. And, you know? Um, well, do you think that's also because the services that were in place when you were diagnosed and and the infrastructure that was built there was much more inclusive because it was designed specifically for AIDS patients? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And and I remember they were also glad to see, they were so grateful that people were not dying of AIDS anymore. Um, when I was, uh, the, the healthcare system in Arkansas was amazing. The, the, the nurses and the doctors, they were just amazing. But I remember a nurse saying to me, like, Wow, we don't see Carposi sarcoma anymore. We don't see, we don't have an AIDS ward anymore. And, and yeah. so, so just that, I think they're so great. They were so grateful that we weren't dying. But I, I can't even imagine the kind of prejudice a trans person experiences. I, I can, I can only imagine, I should say, uh, cause I mm. can't, I can't fathom it. Um, and I can't fathom also the kind of privilege a, a, a tall, white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white guy experience, yeah. you know, and I'm sure they have that. So, yeah. Would you even, would you go as far to say that this racial and gender inequality um, and sexual inequality in the healthcare system is a public health crisis in and of itself? Absolutely, because there isn't equality. There isn't... I mean, and it's also, it links to everything. It links to, um, money and poverty and, and, and your social network and what your beliefs are. I mean, it just, it just includes so much. Hmm. And, and it's not, if that's why I, I believe in universal healthcare. Yeah, I said it. I said it. I love it. it. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> because everybody should have the same access to healthcare. It shouldn't be. Financial or situational. But do you think universal health care would solve people's inherent biases? Well, no. No, yeah. Um, that would no. be a separate program of disability, <laughs> equality, and inclusion. That's, yeah, that's something. But it would certainly be a start. Yeah. If, if people knew that they could go to get an HIV test and it wasn't going to it wasn't going to a certain clinic in a certain neighborhood and everybody's going to know if I go there, you know, if it's just like, no, I'm going to my doctor, I'm getting an HIV test and no one's going to know except me and my doctor. Mm. What would that do? You know, yeah. would that free us up to actually connect to our health on a deeper level? Right. 
Mm, beautiful. So talk to us about your advocacy work. I want to know about all the work that you've done, not only creating your series and, and working as a contributing editor for the body.com, but I know you do a lot of your own work as an advocate. So talk to us about your experience going from self-advocacy to advocating for others. Well, it, it did also, it did kind of, it's been an evolution. It's been a progress. Um, my first, the first thing I ever did when I was still living in Arkansas, um, they asked me to be the lone delegate from Arkansas for the, uh, um, AIDS watch, which is the yearly, um, HIV conference that happens in DC where advocates talk to, uh, members of the Hill. And, um, it was really frightening. And, um, I threw up before I went in for my first. I don't meeting. blame you. <laughs> Cause I was so nervous and I, but it was probably the burger and the pancakes. <laughs> Right? It shouldn't have it's a combination. It yes. have a combination. It's just a dangerous combination. But together, maybe. <laughs> um, but I I I was nervous. They give you they're wonderful. Uh, they give you a lot of information. They tell you what to say. They give you a packet. But I really wanted to do a good job. I had never done anything like that before. And it was my first taste of doing anything like that. Um and uh and then I when I moved to New York, I kind of started everything all over, like my, my social structure and stuff. I mean, I had friends here, but, but I really had to start over in, in everything, find a new doctor and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I started, um, wanting to do just performing things. So I, I took a writing class, which led me to, uh, starting to write my own social, uh, like my, my, my stories that had social issues in them. Cause I was telling my truth, I was telling my HIV stories and my, uh, all those kinds of things. And then I wrote, I started writing Merce, which is my web series. And, uh, then from the web series, people started noticing me and asking me to, will you write an essay for us for the body? I think the body was the first, the first people to ask me to write. Um, before, before they contracted me and they hired me, they just, uh, so I, that's kind of how I got into the realm and, and the circles. And then I started making connections and making friends and just saying yes. Whenever anybody asked me when, um, um, the start talking stop HIV campaign asked me to be a part of it, I said yes. And, um, you, so I just say yes. I love that, that idea of saying yes and embracing the world instead of sort of running away from it when you're dealing with your own diagnosis and, and looking to help others. It's interesting too, to me that, you know, you mentioned that you were given this packet in preparation for going to speak on the Hill. It, it sounds like infrastructure wise, again, like there was, there were plenty of avenues set up for you to succeed in that mm-hmm. work as well, which is wonderful. Yeah. Mm. I, I found that there's a lot of that, um, that kind of structure is available if we look for it. Like, mm. uh, the, there's things like, how do we talk to, uh, around black people and, and black lives matter in HIV situations? Well, there's already a group that has already done that. That's all, we just have to look for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's like every sort of faction of the HIV community is speaking their own truths and and talking about their layers of identity, really, within those that truth. Okay, guys, I want to talk about coaching. I recently connected with an awesome executive and life coach, and her name is Jenna Chieko, a graduate of Dr. Martha Beck's program with a background in psychology and law. She's a former tech general counsel and chief of staff who also worked for the Obama administration. 
Jenna inspires clients to step into their best lives by helping them access their inner strengths, clear the cobwebs holding them back, and cultivate a dream big growth mindset. She is also a life Sherpa for navigating change. You know who I know who has big dreams and is navigating massive changes now more than ever with coronavirus? We Spoonies. Jenna works virtually and she's offering 10% off to new clients who enroll and mention code INVISIBLE. Her rates are reasonable and she's dedicated to help us rise to the top. Go to jennachieco.com, that's G-E-N-A-C-H-I-E-C-O.com for more. So I know we touched on this idea of universal healthcare. I want to know from your perspective as someone who has utilized the healthcare system here in the U.S., in what ways is it working and in what ways does it require improvement? Oh, gosh. It's um, a loaded question. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lot. If it wasn't enough for um, you to tell us your HIV diagnosis story, let's geez. dig deeper. Right. <laughs> How do you feel about the global, next we'll do global warming? Oh, yeah. Um, well, if you'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I've, just coming from my own perspective, I, I really do think, and I've learned this as I've talked to other people um, across the country uh, in, the, in, in different situations, in different states, um, how privileged I am and how privileged I have been. And, and like when I was put on disability, I was given Medicare and how like people saying like, Oh, I can't get in to see that doctor. Oh, really? I got right in. I, you know, I didn't have a problem because it was covered because of that. And so that's really interesting. And the different levels of insurance, um, good insurance and bad insurance and insurance that doesn't cover this or that. And, um, that so much regular health insurance doesn't cover dental, which is and why weird. is it so complicated? Yeah, why doesn't it cover dental? Yeah, because it go. It's your mouth. You put that's your health. No, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's such a strange thing. Yeah. Uh, so I so I don't understand how it all works, and I I really don't even understand how I'm privileged, except when things have changed in my situation, and I've had to like. Oh no, what does that mean? And ask people and like uh, someone telling me like, oh, you're in the Medicare donut hole. Like, oh, that doesn't sound good. What's that? And yeah, that, that doesn't that sound good. Lot. Yeah. Right? Sounds delicious, but it's not good. <laughs> yes. Um so yeah. so even in my own privilege, I've had like to shuffle and figure things out and and then to hear about other people in different states and and especially like I think about trans people. And, and them have the suffering they have to go through to just like change their name, let alone get health care and, and the things that they need for just basic care, let alone like their transition or anything else they might have to go through. It's unfathomable to those of us who don't yeah. have to do it. There's just so many layers of complication. And it sounds like, you know, your average person, depending on their level of education, is going to need help just to navigate how to. And if we need to rely on other people and organizations in order to do that, surely there's a fault with the system if it's not simplified so that everyone can understand it. I mean, I imagine it's difficult for everybody, like even, mm. you know, people who are who are college educated. Maybe you are on your parents' health plan throughout college. Then mm. you get out of college and you're, wait a minute, I don't have health insurance anymore. Maybe you didn't think about it. Why would you? Yeah. You know, and then, and then you think you don't need it or you, or whatever, because you're young and gorgeous and whatever. But, um, <laughs> the healthcare is something that we're all going to need at some point. Right. right? And you what about, I mean, sorry, I was cutting you off. 
I just said, you don't know when you're going to need it. You don't. I mean, the other thing I'm wondering too, is like you mentioned going on disability because disability is another point of contention because there are limits on what you can earn Mm -hmm. when you're on disability. And there are many who are of the opinion, myself included, I'll admit, you know, that, that disability is so limiting a person's ability to earn that you're not able to even move up in social economic status, socioeconomic status. Um, you're kept at a certain line, be that poverty or otherwise. And that can be really difficult as well. Yeah. A friend of mine calls it a gilded cage. Mm. Because it is, it is a help for sure. And, and it is connected with your healthcare and, and all these other things. That's what makes it so if it was just the money, it would be a different matter, but it's money and it's connected with all these other things that, that, that keep you healthy, your house, your housing and, and your food supply and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's incredibly limiting. Um, and while it is a help, it, the government is not here to help us. Yeah. Um, we could do better. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so it's, I think there's a, there, there needs to be a medium or, or, a, or a better bridge or yeah. something, I think. Absolutely. So I would love it if you could give some tips here to our listeners, someone who maybe they've got an HIV diagnosis or an AIDS diagnosis, maybe they suspect something's off and they haven't been tested yet. What would your top three tips be for someone who's living in the uncertainty of an invisible condition? Wow. Um, Well, a diagnosis, an HIV diagnosis today is not what it was 30 years ago. So true. It is not a death sentence. You it, you can live a full and healthy life living with HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, the medications today are miraculous. And there are choices. So that if one medication maybe doesn't work for you or you, has side effects that you can't handle, then you can switch and you can find another one. And there's, and there's also new medications still being developed, which are amazing. So that's the first thing is it's not a death sentence. Mm. Um, and, and if you're afraid about getting tested, I totally understand that. It's scary. Mm. An HIV diagnosis will, like any diagnosis is scary. Yeah. Find out you have anything wrong with you that you, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a jarring new life. But there are, but there's support systems. There's, there's a lot of information. The, there's even from like the CDC website, hiv.gov, um, thebody.com is a great resource, Pause Magazine, um, HIV Plus Magazine, ANU Magazine, Positively Aware. So there's a lot of resources just if you just want to go online and not talk to anybody. And then there's, there's social resources even just online as we're talking, as everything is happening on Zoom right now. There are, there are, meeting support groups happening online that you can connect with. There are people who are willing to talk to you. You know, you can find me really easily online. And, <laughs> and, right? And, yes. and point, case in point. Yes. <laughs> and, and I'm easy, right? And I respond. I yes. respond. True. Because I, and, and actually someone um, wrote to me on Instagram a couple days ago and it was, I was so lovely and I, and I, I feel privileged to be able to be helpful. Mm. So reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out. And I feel like a lot of the advocates that I know who are on social media and who are doing the kinds of things that I'm doing, we're all kind of like that. Like, we're going to respond to you. Mm. If you start getting crazy, we're going to stop responding to you. 
but in general, we want to help. Yeah. And, and, and we're glad you're here. Yeah. I think that's very well said. What about, give us top three things, one more top three list, top three things that give you unbridled joy. I know that you've had to sort of change your lifestyle a bit, right? To manage symptoms with, you know, exercise and managing fatigue. But what are three things that you would always turn to for joy? Or, you know, even if you're sort of having a fatigue flare that will comfort you, what are your top three joy, joy items, burgers, pancakes? (laughs) Okay. Those are givens. (laughs) I'm, I'm a cookie boy. I also, I love Mm. to bake. Love which that. has been a difficult uh, thing in this pandemic because I'll bake a thing of brownies, let's mm. say, frosted usually with a ganache. Oh, and then my language. Then just, <laughs> then just eat the whole pan. So mm. it's good and it's bad. It's comforting. <laughs> and in this time, certainly with all this uncertainty that's happening in the world, you got to take your comfort where you can get it, you know, for sure. Um, I take a Samba class online once a week that, uh, I started I in person, mm-hmm. um, at Alvin Ailey and then the teacher is now teaching from Brazil. It's so cool that she's <gasps> in Rio mm. and, uh, teaching from there. But, um, I used to be a dancer when I was younger and I stopped dancing for a long time and I started taking this class just on a whim and it reminded me of the pure joy of dancing when I didn't feel like I had the pressure to perform. And that's what Samba gives me. And it's a real, like, joyful, prayerful, earthy dance. Mm. So that's something that I really love. And, and I'm, a, I'm an exerciser anyway. I, I like to work out four or five times a week. That I don't know if that gives me joy, but it certainly gives me a break from the news and from everything that's happening gives you an outlet to process stress. Absolutely. Mm. And, and I connect with people. There are some people that I connect with on a daily basis there. I I talk to my mom at least once a week and I try to do it on FaceTime so I can see her face. Mm. Um, and, and that's a source of like comfort and regularity. Like, okay, in this weirdness, she's still there. I'm still here. We can still talk. We can still, you know. You're showing up for each other. It sounds like you guys have gotten closer and closer. In a lot of ways, I think we have, for sure. Mm, That's lovely. Is that three things? That is three things. It was community, like your people, uh, samba and exercise and baking. I love it. So what is your ask for listeners today? What can people tuning into this episode do to support you Uh, and the HIV community in your continued advocacy work? Well, my Venmo account. Is... <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, no. I'd Feel to, free. I'd have to claim it and it would be a big. Trial. Oh, what a mess. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, well, one of the things that I, uh, this is like a big question too. This is like that global woman question. Mm. But I think one of the things we need to remember in the world is that we are complex people. Mm. Everybody, even, you know, except for our president, but everybody else, very complex and, and, and you can be compassionate and mean in the same breath. And the, mm. we have a lot going on. And I, I went to this, um, conference last year called Healthy Voices. Oh, yes. I was supposed to go this year. Oh, well, I'll yes. See you so hopefully I'll see you in 2021. <laughs> it's, it's really a, an amazing conference. And, mm. and because it brings together, people from different health disparities, um, you know, cancer and epilepsy and schizophrenia, you know, just, 
And it really opened up my eyes that there's these other whole groups of people that are all doing the same thing I'm doing in their own avenues, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm doing it in HIV, but they're doing it in cancer and they're doing it. And, and they're funny and charming and full human beings. Mm-hmm. And, and the one that really, and I, I, this is hard for me to say because I, I don't want to sound, um, I don't know, like I'm putting somebody down or that I'm, I'm patting somebody on the head, but, um, I met these girls, uh, who have schizophrenia. And I think it's one of those things that for me, it was something that was easy to make fun of. Hmm. Schizophrenia, like, you know, uh, I don't know, like a multiple personality disorder. And, and it's, it's, we don't know that much about it. The things we do know about it are like criminals and we see hmm. things like that. And these women, I say girls, that was wrong. Women are like, funny and charming and talented and cool and they I was like oh I really and it it blew my mind and then I that made me think like oh we're all like that that's how someone someone looks at me with HIV that way Mm. with a preconceived thing and 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 then I talked to them and they're like oh yeah so so I guess my ask is treat everybody like they're a complex human being with thoughts and feelings and emotions and family and love in their life, Mm. you know, and, and if you don't know about something, that's why God made Google. Mm. I like that. That's great. So what's next for you in your advocacy and wellness journey? Um, I'm thinking I might need a cupcake. That's just today. Yep, that's great. Um, I'm, this is that's going to be my reward for this. <laughs> um, and uh, well, I don't know. I'm I'm continuing to do to write for thebody.com, um, which is I've been writing uh, contributing editor for them for the past three and a half years, and um, so I'm really proud of that work. Um, and I'm also working, I've just started working on a screenplay Ooh. that uh, is a, a love story, which if you know me, I'm a little bit bitter. So for me to be writing a love story, <laughs> is, you and I have more in common than we know. <laughs> it's a challenge, but no, it's, it's, I, I'm doing it on purpose because I was like, wow, I really mm. roll my eyes a lot at love. So I, let's, let's a, indulge in it. Yeah. And I'm play, I'm putting the, the story takes place in 1994. So it's before, it's in the middle of the, you know, the AIDS crisis was still happening. Mm. Um, it was also that year was the, uh, 25th anniversary of Stonewall. Wow. And in New York City that year, the gay games and gay pride and Stonewall was all happening at the same time. So I'm putting this love story in that, in that atmosphere, in that atmosphere. Yeah. Wow, that's really exciting. Well, I, I'm very excited to see where that will land. And uh, me too. Yeah. I'm at the point now where I'm I, I'm liking the story, which is dangerous because then I want it to like happen. But I have oh. to finish writing it. Well, remember, 1994 right. has already happened. Right. True. <laughs> we can we can make all the events converge again, but <laughs> we don't need a repeat of like the last. 25 years necessarily no 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 it ends it ends no i already know how it ends oh great yeah oh wow fantastic well this is very exciting so i mean i know we we also sort of left one stone slightly unturned earlier on before we started the interview when i was talking about the hiv community and i mentioned how when i've reached out to members of the the community who are advocates how open 
um, people have been. And it seems like, especially given your experience when you were coming out with, with being positive, that there are some people who keep it private and there are some people who are very public about it, but it's okay either way, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, I have a big mouth and that was a choice that I made. Like I, I knew that when, when I was in the hospital in Arkansas and I was told my diagnosis and I thought like, how is this the end? You know, those are the choices you have to make. Am I going to give up or can I be that guy? You know, I could be that friend that with that funny guy who has HIV and he's fine. Yeah. Um, and that's, that was my decision. But if you decide not to be that, that's cool too. But I think with a lot of people with HIV, we've already had to come out in other ways in our lives, whether that means we came out as gay or we came out as uh, an addict or you're trans or whatever. You've already kind of had to go through a process of disclosing a big deal. So then this is just another, we're kind of comfortable. We've already kind of done that before. Even mm-hmm. I have some friends who are uh, a couple of, the, the elusive straight man with HIV. Yeah. Um, and there they are, exist. They're they unicorns exist. and they exist. <laughs> but the two, the two that I know, <laughs> but they're both uh, advocates and they're both, they both have very different stories. Um, and they're, but they're both charming and, uh, and outspoken about, about their diagnosis. But I think that's the same with, with any diagnosis. You make a decision about how you want to handle it and how, private you want to be or not and involved in the community you want to be or not and either way it's a personal decision yeah whatever you decide is okay yeah Mm, i love that so charles can you remind everyone where they can find you in your work sure um my web series there's season one and season two of merce the series it's an hiv positive musical comedy about a gay guy living in new york who isn't sad sick or dying there are two. Uh, the second season came out in January. Love. Um, so you can find that on Merce. That's M-E-R-C-E, MerceTheSeries.com. We're on Vimeo. We're on YouTube. Uh, we're also on OutTV. If you happen to be in Europe and you want to check out OutTV. <laughs> um, and you can also find um, my work as a writer on uh, TheBody.com. And it's Charles. It sounds. Yes, exactly the way it sounds. Charles, thank you so much for taking the time today to share your story and to walk us through life when you're not sad, sick, or dying. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Also, yes. I should say, like, you can find me on the interwebs. Like, you can find me on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram, and I'm on Twitter. And, and we'll link so, to all of it on the website. Yeah, great. And if you want to reach out to me, feel free to. I love that. Charles, is there anything else you'd like to share with everyone today? Eat something delicious today. I love that. Charles, thank you so much. What an wear honor. A mask. Oh, wear a mask. Wear, wear a mask. mask. Wear a mask because there are people who are literally immune compromised. <laughs> we need you to do that. Thank you. That would be helpful. Thanks. That would be really nice. Yep. I'm with you on that one. Wear a mask, everyone. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time and your energy today, Charles. Uh, what a joy to meet you and speak with oh, you. And you I hope one day we can we can break brownies together. <laughs> Pancakes, brownies, burgers. burgers. <laughs> you tacos. name it. Tacos. Tacos. I mean, I live in LA. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you get the good tacos. I've got the good tacos. I do. <laughs> One of these days. Well, thank you so much, Charles. Welcome. It's my pleasure. 
that's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.